Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Farm Talk with Dairy Gold Quality Feeds. Trusted by generations of farmers. Dairy Gold Quality Feeds. Putting your animal nutrition needs first. Welcome to our programme. I'm John O'Connor. Coming up, Mallow Farmer Nuffield Scholar to address National Nuffield Conference in Dublin. Plan to eradicate BVD by 2020. Seven ways to reduce stress in young calves and housing. And our top story... Winter Feed Planning Workshops Network. Dairy Gold Agri-Sales and Agribusiness have organised a number of winter feed planning workshops. All of these are from 10am to 1pm. Thursday 15th of November at New Inn, Tipperary, 10am to 1pm. Friday 16th of November, Lombardstown, Cork, 10am to 1pm. Monday 19th of November, Garispillan, Limerick, 10am to 1pm. Tuesday, 20th of November, Ballymacira, Cork, 10am to 1pm. Wednesday, 21st of November, Carrigaline, Cork, 10am to 1pm. Thursday, 22nd of November, Coachford, Cork, 10am to 1pm. Monday, 26th of November, at Raheen, Limerick, 10am to 1pm. Tuesday, 27th, Terrellton, Cork, 10am to 1pm. Wednesday, 28th of November, Rathduff, Cork, 10am to 1pm. Thursday, 29th of November, at Care, County Tipperary, 10am to 1pm. And the final winter feed planning workshop planned for the immediate future is on Friday, 30th of November, at Mitchellstown, Cork, 10am to 1pm. Joining us on the farm programme, Miss Aoife Healy, B&T Dairy Advisor, Chagas Coronet, Skibbereen, County Cork, in the west of the county. First of all, Aoife, welcome to the programme. Hi, John. There will be an open day in Schnock in Bandon on Tuesday the 13th of November. Now, Schnock is the demonstration farm owned by the West Cork Co-ops and helps managed by Chagas. Um, so they're having an open day again on Tuesday the 13th of November with the theme of sustaining excellent performance, facing up to the challenges ahead. And the topics that they're going to discuss on the day include financial performance in a difficult weather year and dealing with fodder deficits, achieving excellent technical performance while protecting and enhancing our environment, or dairy farms attractive places to work, and enhancing our social license to produce milk in profitable grass-based systems, good animal welfare, key to sustaining our performance. 
The open day will consist of a combination of both workshop style interaction groups and presentations. And it is planned to run two sessions on the day, one morning session commencing at 10.30am and session two commencing at 2pm. That's fine. Thank you very much indeed. Ms. Aoife Healy, B&T Dairy Advisor, Chagas, Curnay, Skibbereen, County Cork in the west of the county. Thank you very much indeed, Aoife. Thanks a million. Thank you, John. You're welcome. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme, Mr. Philip Cotter, PRO Cork East Ploughing Association. Philip, welcome to the programme. Results from Watergrass Hill, ploughing results. Thanks very much, John. That's correct. Yeah, last Sunday, the 4th, of November, we were in the Watergrass Hill, perfect size and uh, a good day. We, we escaped without rain until just we were tidying up, we got the mist. And these are the results from Watergrass Hill. First, senior, first, Mick Linehan, second, Michael Hannan, and third, Billy Tarrant. Under 28, first, Keen Chahan. The vintage, two for a hydraulic, first, Massey Fleming, second, Phelan Crosser, and third, John Wolfe. The vintage hydraulic two for a novice, first Peter Murray. And the vintage two for a trailed, first Leslie Wolf, and second Cyril McGuinness. The vintage single for a, first Trevor Fleming, and second Damien Ahern. The novice, first Orla Hayes. The Mokra, first Stephen O'Connell, second Shane Bozang, and third Kevin McGrath. And the three for the conventional, first Jim Barris, and second Cato Reardon. And the two for a reversible, first Paddy Harrington, and second John O'Donovan. Those are the results from Watergrass Hill on last Sunday. And tomorrow we're moving next door to Bartholomew, actually. And that match is being held just beside the village of Ratcarmuck on the lands of Mr. Pat Pine, by his kind permission. Now, it's imperative that we get going early in this kind of weather, John. So uh, we're commencing at 11 o'clock sharp. And anybody interested in clown, would they give their entries to Dermot's Dargan? And I'll give you Dermot's number, 087-2625165. That's entries to Dermot Dargan, 087-2625165. And if at all possible by 1pm today. So, and tomorrow, the 11th, we'll be in Batlamy or at, at the site in Ratcarmuck and definitely 11 o'clock sharp start. And hopefully, the weather will be in our favour. So, we'll, we'll take it from there. Thanks, John. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Philip Cotter, PRO, Cork East Ploughing Association. Thanks a million, Philip. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, John. Carrigaline Mokrana Firma are holding their annual Agri-Talk on Monday 12th of November 2018. Venue will be the Estuary Suite, Rochestown Park Hotel, Douglas Cork. The Agri-Talk topic for 2018 is the opportunities and challenges for the Irish agri-food industry. The Agri-Talk starts 7.30pm sharp. Prior to that, from 6pm to 7.30pm, there will be a number of agri-exhibitor stands. Each speaker will be given 15 to 20 minutes for presentation. Again, theme of the AgriTalk 2018 will be the opportunities and challenges for the Irish agri-food industry. Guest speakers for the conference, Patrick Coveney, Chief Executive, Greencore, John Jordan, Chief Executive, Ornua, 
Professor Jerry Boyle, Director of Chagask, Jerry Murphy, Meteorologist with Met Aaron, Brian Ducey, AIB Agricultural Advisor. There will be a questions and answer session afterwards. This is an open invitation to the general public to attend this agri-event. All welcome, young and old, not confined to Macquarie Firma members or indeed the farming community. That's Carrigaline Macquarie Firma Annual Agri-Talk, Monday 12th of November, Rochestown Park Hotel, starting 7.30pm sharp. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme, we have Mr Tommy Heffernan, Irish Farmers Journal vet. First of all, Tommy, welcome to the programme. Now, some very good news on the horizon. Farmers can always do with a bit of good news. We've had such uh, bad weather conditions. Ireland apparently on course to eradicate BVD by 2020. So, am I reading that correctly? In this week's Irish Farmers Journal... Drop in PI calves born saves farmers 85 million and hopefully eradicate BVD, bovine viral diarrhea, completely by 2020. Yes, John. Uh, nice. Thanks for having me on the show. So this is this article uh, arose from I suppose some great work that Animal Health Ireland are doing um, around disease disease uh, control uh, and management at a national level and and one of the very first programs that was implemented back in 2013 uh, on a voluntary basis was BVD eradication, which is bovine viral diarrhea. It's a virus that affects cattle um, and it causes a number of production diseases. It's not something we want to have on farm and it was estimated at the time to be costing our cattle industry 110 million euros a year um, because of its impact. To what extent would Irish herds be infected with this uh, PI? What percentage roughly in round terms? We're down to a very, very low prevalence. So um, it, it's something like 0.02%. So we've, we, it, 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 even in the last couple of years, it's dropped by 12-fold. So it, there's actually a national map showing that some countries have no persistent infected calves at all. Um, so we're making real progress. Animal Health Ireland is making real progress on it. Uh, so it, it's down to a very low level. With obviously the aim of this program was to eradicate the disease. And uh, I asked Animal Health Ireland a lot of questions recently in an interview and the aim is to have it completely eradicated by 2020. Is there a basis there for making a law to make sure that all imported animals would test negative for BVD? Yeah, so this is one of our challenges when we do achieve uh, a national status of eradication that you know uh, we don't import the disease in again because when you have uh, an immu- when you have a disease like this and you, you eradicate it, you have very little immunity. So when it does come into a farm, it can, it can cause quite devastating effects. So one of our challenges is we import about 3,000 animals, breeding animals and certain things during the year. Um, so those animals really need to be tested. And I think for Animal Health Ireland, we'll be looking possibly to make sure to the, the legislation there to ensure that those animals are tested so we don't risk, after all the hard work over the years, bringing disease back into the country. Can BVD be spread? Is it contagious? It's a complicated disease, uh, and there's two types of infection. It's very hard to explain in, in short terms, but the persistently infected calves are what we call the virus factories of virus shedders. These are calves that are infected with the virus when they're in the mother's womb between day 40 and 110 before their immune system develops. So when they're actually born, they're persistently in shedding this virus. The other type of infection is a transient infection, like a, a, almost like the flu virus where an animal gets it for three or four weeks. That's part of it, but these persistently infected animals, and this is why we're tagging calves to identify these and take them out and remove them from our herd, are the most important source of the disease. 
If you have a pea eye animal, well then that animal should be detected at birth and removed from the herd. So people who know they have a pea eye animal and don't declare it, they're being highly irresponsible. This is really a national eradication program. So we're we're doing something incredibly positive for our national herd. Now, ultimately, um, at, at the start of this, you know, you, you, people would see healthy calves born. They'd come back that they were PI positives, and it was it was a hard one to digest. But I think we've got information out that Animal Health Ireland has done a particularly good job of getting information, understanding why these calves must be removed off farm. I think that's happening very, very fast. I think uh, people are now aware of where PIs are. Neighbours are being uh, informed of, of, of the increased risk. It's happening less and less, a tiny percentage. From a national perspective, we must remove these animals, if, and we're getting very close to that point where we take them out of our farms and we, we would completely reduce and eradicate this disease. For animals born prior to 2013, there hadn't been testing prior to 2013. So those animals haven't, so any calf born after the, when the national program started, it haven't been, te- so every animal born since then has been tested by a near tag, but animals born previous to that, so you can have these persistent animals, most of them don't survive, but a small percentage of them will and continue to be persistently infected, so to, to eradicate disease, we've got to go back before that time and have these animals tested to make sure we've no PIs in the country. So that's probably um, the next phase for Animal Health Ireland as we get closer to eradication. If we meet this target of BVD eradication by 2020, a very near and approaching date, well then our exports will be more secure. But if by any chance we don't meet this BVD eradication target by 2020, would you see potential great damage being done to our image and our potential exports? It's one of these diseases that costs money at farm levels. It's an economically significant disease. On a trading level, um, there's always advantages to be disease-free. But, you know, uh, so I think, I, think it's, I think we're going to do it. Um, I, I, I hope we're not in that scenario. Um, I don't think uh, it's, one of, it's, it's not a majorly uh, economically significant disease when you're talking about trading. It's always better when you're looking at a national, our national herd to be able to talk about diseases that have been eradicated um, so I hope we're not in that situation and it doesn't look like the, the programme has really developed momentum. Full details in this week's Irish Farmers Journal, the article there by our good self Mr Tommy Heffernan, Irish Farmers Journal vet and we stay briefly with the topic of young animals and calves. You have in the journal seven tips, seven basic tips for dealing with the young stock this winter. Yeah, so I'm a big fan and I have a saying of being brilliant at the basics and getting the basics right can make such a huge difference. So the weather has changed. We've, we have had a reasonably good autumn as regards weather. Um, it's been favourable, but now cattle and particularly young stock are being moved into houses. So the environment is changing. There's more animals closer together and you have an increase in stress and stress and in closer when animals are, are in closer contact, you have more risk of disease. So I suppose I have seven tips this week in the paper and online just saying, you know, simple things, seven simple things that you can do managing young stock to reduce the risk of stress and disease. Dose cattle before housing to ensure they aren't entering with any parasites like lungworm. So dosing cattle before they go in, you don't want to bring in parasites into the house. It's a great time to stop infection. Um, it's, an, it's a stressor going into the house so we can free of parasites going into the house. You know, any, any, uh, any vaccines that need to be done, have them done. 
even the idea of providing fresh, clean water makes a huge difference. Getting fresh air right in farms, you know, that's really important. The weather doesn't affect pneumonia, but, you know, bringing animals indoors potentially, um, that, 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 you know, you're bringing them close together so we can maximise fresh air and ventilation can make a huge difference. And, you know, really focusing in on hygiene, particularly for feet and lameness, all can make huge impacts on animal health this winter. And how about two weeks for the animals to adapt to the new diet? So the, the rumen is the main engine of, of the young animal and it's, it's, it's where all the, the digestion occurs. So when they're on a grass-based diet and you move them to a forage, like a silage diet, it takes about two weeks for them to transition. So you must remember you're bringing them in, you're changing their environment, you're changing their diet. So sometimes with younger stock, having them on a little bit of meal before they go in and a little bit of meal during that housing period can just help that room and adjust and it just doesn't upset things too much it makes sure that main engine of room and is firing well and i think it's a nice little simple thing we can do to again it's just minimizing the stress on animals at winter time and without going into amr etc which of course is an underlying problem globally but it is a battle between immunity and infection and if you can resist the temptation to cram animals into a limited space you are saying in your tips that the fewer animals confined together the better to allow whatever animals you are housing indoors or keeping together in a confined space, the more air you allow to circulate, the fewer animals uh, crowding out one another, the less chance of infection in that ongoing battle between immunity, building up immunity and infection. So all of that information we've been talking about, we've only skimmed over it, but it's all in this week's edition of the Irish Farmers Journal. Thank you very much indeed, Mr Tommy Heffernan, Irish Farmers Journal vet. Thanks very much indeed, Tommy. Thanks a million. Thank you, John. Pleasure. Dairy Gold, our sponsor, is holding a number of winter feed planning workshops. All of these take place between 10am and 1pm. Dates and venues, Thursday 15th, New Inn, Tipperary. Friday 16th, Lombardstown, Cork. Monday 19th, Gary Spillane, Limerick. Tuesday 20th, Ballymacira, Cork. Wednesday 21st, Carrigaline, Cork. Thursday 22nd, Coachford, Cork. Monday 26th, Raheen Limerick. Tuesday 27th, Terrellton, Cork. Wednesday 28th, Rathduff, Cork. Thursday 29th, Care County Tipperary. And Friday 30th, Mitchellstown, Cork. All of these winter feed planning workshops from 10am to 1pm. Miss Hannah Quinn Mulligan, news correspondent for the Irish Farmers Journal, has written extensively in the Irish Farmers Journal edition of Saturday, 3rd of November 2018, on prime cork farmland being held by vulture funds. Every county in Ireland has farmland affected by a vulture fund presence, not just Cork County. Miss Hannah Quinn Mulligan spoke to the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme about her findings following extensive research at the Land Registry Office under the Freedom of Information Act. Miss Hannah Quinn Mulligan trolled through 8,727 documents. Miss Quinn Mulligan spoke to the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme about her findings. It would seem that Cork has the fourth highest number of acres controlled by vulture funds in Ireland 
with over 900 acres controlled by vulture funds. So it is quite high, and maybe you'd expect that because Cork is the biggest county in Ireland. But overall, what my research found was that there's over 28,000 acres across Ireland controlled by vulture funds, and it impacts every single county in Ireland. And I suppose the reason behind the research for me was I was really born from frustration because the Department of Finance didn't have any farm-specific figures and the Central Bank didn't have any farm-specific figures, and an increasing number of farmers were contacting us um, you know, to register their distress with their dealings with vulture funds. But it's very hard to tackle a problem when you don't know how big it is. But, you know, this shows that it impacts every single county in Ireland. You had to trawl through virtually 9,000 documents, 8,727 documents received from the Land Registry under the Freedom of Information Act. So the information was there, but you had to really mine for it. Yeah, that's it, exactly. So no one had the information to hand. And like I said, I was just more frustrated. And as a farmer myself, was incredibly frustrated when when I was listening to these farmers coming to us. So uh, in the end, I had to go to the Land Registry Office in Dublin, sit there and say, right, if this is a Freedom of Information request, you know, how do you want it worded? How soon can you get it to me? And what I what they did then was I knew a number of companies who were subsidiaries of big U.S. vulture funds, such as Cerberus and Lone Star that we've heard of. But you might not have heard of, you know, Seek and View Limited or Start Mortgages. So what I did was I got all the loans that they owned in Ireland and went through each single one of them. So nearly 9,000 um, folio numbers um, and to see which ones were farmland or related to farmland and then collated that list. So it, it's been nearly a couple of months in the making, but I, I think it's worth it because, like I said, you can't tackle problems until you know how big it is. But I would say as well, I believe that the list is longer. I believe that there's more farmland acres out there um, because while I know some company names, I don't know all company names. So it, it's a good start, but you know things still need to be done. Land in the possession of these funds, Cerberus and Lone Star and the other subsidiaries you've spoken about, lesser known ones, but what what would the main concern of farmers be, people who are indebted to these um, so-called vulture funds? Is there anything sinister in this? I mean, is it a situation where these uh, foreign vulture funds now have a hold on a large amount of Irish land? Or what would the main anxieties be of our Irish farmers? Well, I mean, to put it into context, we sold uh, across Ireland last year, 33,000 acres were sold. Um, so to, for vulture funds to control 28,000 acres, it's almost on par with what's annually sold. Um, so the main concerns for farmers were that um, vulture funds uh, or the receivers who were appointed to the sale um, were more concerned with selling the land than in renegotiating terms. And, you know, I don't think any farmer is looking for a special treatment. You know, all of those documents that I went through related to a mortgage that was held by a vulture fund. I think what farmers and, you know, every other person wants is just to be dealt with fairly. And a lot of farmers put up their hands and said, look, I overstretched. I went for expansion and I couldn't repay my mortgage when milk prices went down in 2009 but I want to keep my farmland and I want to renegotiate um, but a lot of vulture funds it seemed weren't willing to do that and were keener on selling the land. The government is considering new legislation I understand that new laws are needed to strengthen control of vulture funds and perhaps get a better deal a fairer deal for Irish farmers or people who find themselves uh, in trouble when it comes to repaying as you've said there are some freely admit they overreach themselves in terms of borrowing. 
Yeah, that's right. So there's legislation in hand at the minute um, with the government and Michael McGrath of Fianna Fáil is working on it. But, I mean, what it will do is that it'll give the central bank a bit more control over vulture funds. But Minister of Finance, Pascal Donoghue, has said, you know, on numerous occasions that he can't intercede in any farm, uh, in any bank loan sales. And the reason why these vulture funds are operating in the country is because loans were sold to them in the first place. And banks such as AIB and Rabobank, I mean, they haven't ruled out that there will be future loan sales, which could include farm assets. So it's an ongoing issue. And, you know, while it's Europe who's actually putting pressure on us to bring down our overall loan debt from kind of the days of the recession, you know, it's still sort of arguable that, you know, people should be treated fairly. And if they present a package to a receiver that they can renegotiate terms, then really the receiver should try and take that if they can. This all began, this would have been um, started off or instigated by the financial crash, the big financial crash about 10 years ago, and the country was desperate for money due to pressure from the European Union, the EU and Brussels specifically, and the people who told us on SB took a big loan and uh, accepted a bailout, a bomb would go off in Dublin, uh, that kind of uh, talk. But essentially, this, of course, stems from the time when beggars can't be choosers. We were desperate for money to rescue the country from total collapse. Now that you've highlighted the situation, what do we see as the best way to get out of this situation? I suppose there's a lot of questions still to be answered in terms of how much control the government has and how much they're going to have um, in the future as well. Well, hopefully with this research at hand and pointing that, you know, over 28,000 acres is controlled by vulture funds. I mean, the first thing would be for this legislation that seems to have been kind of kicked down the line a bit will actually come to fruition now and will be put in place. And from there, it's, it's really down to the government again to see how much control they're going to insist upon having over these vulture funds. Because, you know, we, we can't forget that it's, it's not like they appeared out of nowhere. It might just be like the English landlords of old, you know, they were originally invited into the country to take control of debt. So in that case, it's also the government's responsibility to probably get us out of a problem. Remember, agricultural land is a finite resource. Globally, the population is meant to increase to 9 billion people. And, you know, how are you going to feed all those people without land? I mean, I would say as well, there's a case study in the paper this week where a Longford farmer I was talking to had um, his farm valued at €250,000 by a local auctioneer. And then it was sold on an online bidding auction. He wasn't even aware of the sale. The Vulture Fund had put it up for sale. um, And it was sold for €100,000 to an anonymous bidder. And they're perfectly within their rights to do that. There's nothing in the law that says they can't do that. But what the farmer was saying was that if he had known himself that it was being sold and being sold for as little as €100,000 and he could have bought it back himself you know that was it's 36 acres and it was his family farm and while he might have another business he's you know has a strong connection to that land and I think particularly for farmers you know there is that strong family connection to land where it's not just the farmer who's immediately impacted but he feels or she feels that they've let down generations before them and it can be a very dark place uh, you know that feeling of failure so I also wanted to shine a light on it to make sure that farmers knew that they weren't alone and that um, you know there other people were in the same predicament and hopefully by pulling together maybe we can find a way out of it. At least you've highlighted the problem and uh, you hope the government will be forced into action because this is uh, quite sinister in one respect to think that so much land can be controlled by anonymous people and they can sell it online without giving the person in debt an option of paying far less and getting back their land. 
Hannah, thank you very much indeed for your valuable time and all your patience and your hard work in digging out those documents from the Land Registry under Freedom of Information Act. Thank you. The interview you've just heard was based on an article in the Irish Farmers Journal edition Saturday, 3rd of November 2018 by news reporter Hannah Quinn Mulligan, Irish Farmers Journal. Nuffield Farming Scholarships Trust Ireland will be holding their conference on Friday 16th of November. Venue will be Castle Lock Hotel in Dublin. Amongst the many people addressing the conference will be returning Nuffield scholar Mr Niall O'Regan, a dairy farmer from Mallow in Cork. Yeah, OK, John. So um, Nuffield, I suppose, is, it's an international organisation in uh, many countries around the world now at this stage. It's uh, it started out in the UK by uh, a guy by the name of Lord Nuffield, who was a philanthropist. And um, it was set up to give young people in the agricultural industry an opportunity to broaden their horizons and travel the world to learn a little bit more about agriculture. And the organization, as I say, has grown in other into many other countries now at this stage. And basically, it, it gives people the opportunity to to make a difference in the world of agriculture. It's a, it's a global network of farmers and agri-professionals all over the world, and it's focused on giving people that opportunity to develop themselves personally, but also to, to learn about what excellence in agriculture means in, in different countries and to, to develop leadership skills as well, I guess. So um, each year there's about maybe 70 to 80 scholars appointed internationally, and in Ireland there's about... Uh, five or six scholars each year, the six this year now, and um, they get sponsorship from the in Ireland. We get sponsorship from the industry, and um, those those six scholars get the opportunity then for the for the over the course of two years to to travel um, uh, in looking at agriculture in different countries and studying a particular topic of interest to themselves, and then reports back two years later at the Irish conference on their findings and um, reporting what, what is of relevance to the Irish agricultural industry from what they've found. So that's kind of a brief overview of how it works, what Nuffield is about. Is there an age limit? There isn't exactly fast, uh, hard and fast rules around the age limit, but generally speaking, scholars tend to have maybe four or five years of work experience and of life experience under their belts post-college or university um, before they take on the, the, the scholarship. And in terms of the upper age limit, there, there isn't necessarily one, but I suppose your typical, um, your typical scholar is probably somewhere in, the, in, their, in their late 20s up to, to, to mid-40s kind of age bracket because it's a, it, it's a big commitment in terms of, uh, well, it's, a, it's a, a significant commitment in terms of time over the, the two years. There's a lot of traveling involved in that. So um, it's kind of a, a program, I suppose, that suits the that kind of an age bracket of of of, uh, of young people, you know, farmers. But um, yeah, that's that's kind of the general run of it. Before we began broadcasting, you were telling me, Niall, speaking to Mr. Niall O'Regan, a dairy farmer from the Mallow area, you were telling me you were involved in LIC in New Zealand. Could you please remind our listeners what exactly LIC is? in New Zealand, and I understand you worked with uh, that organisation for about six years. Yes, that's right, John. Um, so LIC is a Livestock Improvement Corporation. It's uh, a New Zealand cooperative owned by the dairy farmers of New Zealand, and they uh, operate here in Ireland selling genetics to, to Irish dairy farmers. So I spent um, six years with that with uh, with LIC up until 2016. 
and um, had a number of different roles in that organization. And since then, I've been um, farming in partnership uh, with my parents at home in, in Mallow and County Cork. And uh, actually, in the last couple of months, I've taken on a new role then as well with um, Ulster Bank as an agri-manager um, based in the Cork area. So, um, yeah, that's kind of my farming credentials as such or, or my farming background, where, where I come from and my involvement in the industry, we'll say. Now, we refer there to your six years' experience in New Zealand with LIC, the Livestock Improvement Corporation, but you also travelled to several other countries, Eastern Europe, uh, Africa, and possibly even Asia. You might list the countries you travel to and have experience of agriculture in those countries, a tremendously wide spread of countries, some with very developed agriculture, some with rather basic agriculture, where I'm sure Nuffield scholarship would be of great interest. Yes, absolutely. So that, that's probably one of the, the big eye-openers that Nuffield gives, uh, I think particularly Irish scholars, is that you learn that agriculture isn't just confined to grass-based dairy farming or beef or, or, or um, you know, the traditional tillage or sectors, we'll say, that we have here in Ireland. There's a whole other uh, aspect to agriculture and agricultural businesses that you only get a real uh, taste of when you when you, you travel abroad. And the countries that I, that I went to give me a great variety of them, I would have started my travels in uh, Brazil, um, for what we, what we had, where all the scholars met together for, for 10 days um, on what's known as the Contemporary Scholars Conference. And we would have got a great insight into global ag- agriculture, but also the, the massive potential of agriculture in, in Brazil and the challenges that they face in those countries. And then we would have um, travelled on from there, then a group of 10 of us doing what's called the, the Global Focus Programme, which was a seven-week uh, journey that took us through uh, the United States of America and the and the East Coast. Uh, we got to visit uh, Washington D.C. and met a few people uh, in in Capitol Hill. And we in relation to agriculture, and then we would have travelled, uh, as you mentioned, to Eastern uh, Europe, to Poland, the Czech Republic, and then crossed the the European Union border out to the Ukraine. Um, you know, which was a fascinating insight into how the Soviet Union has impacted on agriculture in in that part of the world. And from there, then we travelled on to Africa, to Kenya, and finished off the Global Focus program. Then in uh, South Africa, visiting both Johannesburg and uh, Cape Town. So that was the the Global Focus program. And in the, the final part of my travels, took me to the UK and to Netherlands and to France. So um, yeah, I kind of uh, I got a good a good feel for for agriculture in in all those different countries. And as you can imagine, the the, the challenges that they face in all those countries are, are quite diverse. Um, you know, you can go from a country like Brazil, which has huge open plains and has a climate that is conducive to growing crops all year round, to a country like Kenya, where they, you know, it's very much subsistence farming, and um, it's 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 quite a different. Uh, the scale of of agriculture there is quite different to what what we might be used to here in Ireland. But at the same time, there's there's still some common themes that run through uh, agriculture all over the world. You know, I suppose it comes down to weather and getting a fair price for the, the produce you produce is is, um, is is something that all farmers all over the world, regardless of your, your language or country you're operating in, is, is what the, what interests them. And but yeah, that's what I got to, 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 to talk about and, and learn about from visiting all those countries. 
If you had to pick one country, rather difficult um, question to ask, but if you had to pick one country where you think, on average, Irish farmers, a young Irish farmer, would learn most from, if you had to pick out one country, I know we tend in this country to point to New Zealand or Holland and Netherlands as places we can learn a lot from, but if you had to, on reflection, looking at the vast experience, the vast amount of travel you've undertaken, if you had to say, well, one particular country you found uh, was of particular interest and particularly useful for Irish farmers, younger Irish farmers, to pick up new techniques on and uh, see some very interesting uh, processes underway or enterprises, types of farming? It's challenging to, to pick one particular country that you could learn most from. Yeah, and, and you would be inclined to, the, the, the natural choices would be the likes of your New Zealand and the Netherlands, which have, I suppose, are, are modern, progressive uh, agricultural industries that are, are at the cutting edge of new innovative technology. And Certainly, I suppose they are the countries that you would be that I would have said that I would have you, you'd learn most from in terms of uh, that would be applicable to Irish agricultural industry. But I, I I think one of the probably the countries that I most enjoyed visiting and 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 took a lot from was actually Brazil because the the scale of operation uh, of agriculture in Brazil is just it's just incredible and the potential of the country to feed the global population that's growing and becoming more affluent is is amazing. They have a climate and a soil in that country that is is conducive to sowing crops and harvesting crops all year round. In some of the farms we visited, they can grow two and a half crops per year, um, and uh, it's it's just got amazing potential. Now the challenges with the country is that it's bureau, it's an extremely bureaucratic country. There's a lot of corruption. And the infrastructure in terms of getting the crops from uh, from from the land to the ports and to the to the export markets that they're going to is quite a big challenge, and they lose a lot of their competitive efficiency or their efficiencies and their competitive advantage um, once it leaves the it leaves the farm. But um, I guess yeah, from if I was to look outside the the, the standard countries of the the New, the New Zealand or the the Dutch, I think Brazil is a country that has um, has really I was really amazed by by the potential of of agriculture in that country. You know, we wish the farmers in Brazil all the best, but of course for Irish beef farmers and for European Union beef farmers, Brazil is one of those key Mercosur countries where we fear their type of production scale will offer a very severe challenge to Irish and European beef producers, but that's something down the road. And, of course, uh, we are talking about your experience out there, so you'll be well-placed to comment on the situation. Now, we're leading up to your report. I understand you will be delivering a report, a very important report, to the annual conference of the Nuffield Scholarship people. Would you please remind our listeners, Niall, when and where this special Nuffield Ireland conference is taking place, the venue, date, etc.? The annual Irish Nuffield conference, it gives returning scholars the opportunity to present their reports on their travels and their area of interest for the, for the benefit of the broader cultural industry. And um, it's also a valuable networking opportunity for past and um, present Nuffield scholars. Um, This year's event is taking place in the Castle Knock Hotel in Dublin on uh, Friday, November the 16th. 
and um, yeah, the conference is open to, to both Nuffield scholars and to the general public, and um, tickets can be purchased for the, the conference online via the Nuffield Ireland website. Um, my own particular topic that I'll be speaking about on the day is um, is about improving nutrient management and protecting water quality. So, and looking at it from from a dairy farming perspective, that's what I would have uh, my study would have focused on was looking at what are the best practices internationally in terms of nutrient management and what are the challenges that we are facing in Ireland in relation to water quality and how are other countries uh, tackling those challenges? We'll say. Um, I mean, water quality is something that, uh, well, in, in the environment in general, is something that we're all becoming more and more conscious of in terms of ensuring that our farming systems are sustainable. And um, while there's been a lot of talk about emissions from agriculture, um, maybe the water debate is something that, we, that hasn't uh, necessarily gained as much um, publicity or whatever. But it's all the same. It's still something that we as a, an industry need to be conscious of and making sure that we're proactive and doing the best we possibly can to protect our, our water streams, our water sources, because, um, I mean, the, when, it, when it comes to us selling our dairy or beef produce, we're competing in global markets, and the consumers are nowadays are, are demanding that our food is produced in an environmentally sustainable um, manner, and we need to be able to demonstrate those credentials, and water quality is part of that. And then on the other side of it, you have, from, from a farming point of view, a lot of, of our uh, farmers in Ireland have what's known as the, the nitrate derogation. They apply for that on an annual basis. And that's uh, subject to being approved by the EU. Uh, our our uh, nationwide derogation is approved from the EU every four years. And the renewal of that was just renewed uh, just uh, December last year. And we have it for another four years. But the, the the ability for Ireland to continue to secure that will be dependent on our ability to protect our, our water quality. So I was looking at those those areas and seeing what, what we as farmers can be doing to to make sure we stay ahead of the game from, from, from a nutrient management and, and water quality perspective. Now, would you please give us contact details for people who would wish to apply for a Nuffield scholarship or wish to find out more about the annual conference of Nuffield Ireland? Dennis Brosnan will be the keynote speaker at this year's conference, which uh, is taking place in the Castle Knock Hotel in Dublin, and it's on Friday, November the, the 16th. And uh, for anybody that is interested in getting more information about Nuffield in general or about the conference, uh, just log on to the website uh, ie, where you'll get um, a lot more uh, detailed information about what, what Nuffield is all about. Now, you are addressing it regarding the nutrient management and protecting water quality aspects of farming, but amongst the people delivering the various reports will be Eamon Sheehan. He'll talk about microbial management and its importance in the dairy and beef industry, Ed Payne on farmers' responsibility to become more competitive and sustainable employers, Owen Brodie, the role that cooperatives play in encouraging viable dairy farming in marginal areas, and a licence to farm, how Irish agriculture can maintain its social licence to operate. Lorcan Allen delivering that. And Brian Hines, models for managing multiple dairy units in Ireland, profitable dairy expansion. So, in, in fact, going along there, even if you aren't uh, applying for an off-field scholarship, this is a wonderful opportunity to tap into a vast fund of information from people, younger people... 
Yes, ab- absolutely, John. Um, I mean, the the Nuffield Scholarship is it's, it's probably a unique opportunity in terms of it, cover, it covers such uh, a broad range of agriculture. It's not just confined to the dairy or beef, but people from all different uh, aspects of agriculture come to meet together and to, uh, to network and to, to get to hear about the latest uh, ideas that are happening out there in the world and as I say you, you get to, to network with a lot of people and um, a lot of young people I suppose have, have come along to the conferences at different stages over the years and have come back years later as, as scholars like I did myself and um, it's, it's a great way to, uh, the conference is a great way to get to, to learn a bit more about the Nuffield Network. There's a, a, a network of people that you can get in touch with um, and as I as mentioned, the, the Nuffield website, www.nuffield.ie, um, is where you'll find um, plenty of information about the, the network, about the Nuffield and about the conference. And you'll be able to get the list of uh, scholars from there, too. If you have any other further queries, you can, you can uh, contact all the scholars. We're more than happy to, to speak to anybody who would like to learn a bit more about the organisation. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Niall O'Regan a young Cork dairy farmer from the Mallow North Cork region who will be addressing the annual Nuffield Conference taking place on Friday 16th of November 2018 at the Castlenock Hotel in Dublin. And just to mention the time it starts, please, Niall. Um, So registration for the conference kicks off at... uh 9:15 a.m. with the opening address from opening address from Jeff Dooley, who's the chairperson of Nuffield Ireland, at 10 a.m. Thank you, Niall, very much indeed. The final speaker on our program this morning was Mr. Niall O'Regan, a dairy farmer from Mallow in North Cork and returning Nuffield scholar. Niall will deliver one of the reports to the annual Nuffield conference taking place on this coming Friday, 16th of November 2018, in the Castlenock Hotel in Dublin. And that's our programme for this morning. I'm John O'Connor. Thanks to John Foot on Controls. And a very special thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in. Next Agri Update will be on this coming Wednesday evening between 10pm and 11pm, directly after the 10 o'clock news. Thanks for listening and have an enjoyable weekend. Farm Talk with Dairy Gold Quality Feeds. Trusted by generations of farmers. Dairy Gold Quality Feeds. Putting your animal nutrition needs first. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.